Welcome to Miraval Life in Balance, bringing you mindful tips and insight into supporting your mental well-being and living your most balanced life. Hear the sound of the wind as it moves through the trees, the branches shaking in the breeze. It's time to clear your mind and focus on the present. Take a moment to center your breath. Breathe in and out. In and out. Don't speed up or slow down. Just focus on your breathing. Welcome to Miraval Life in Balance, brought to you by Miraval Resorts and Spas. I'm your host, Lauren Scruggs Kennedy. Today, I am excited to be joined by Miraval's Digital Wellness Ambassador, Catherine Price. Catherine is here to share some useful tips and tools to help people scroll less, live more, and have fun in the process. We'll discuss her important work for Miraval Resorts and Spas which include digital mindfulness tips, blogs, videos, and a pocketbook. Plus, how these resources help our guests create healthier relationships with technology and get back in touch with what brings them real joy. Welcome, Catherine. I would love to start by having you tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe just a few sentences to give our listeners an idea of who you are. Sure. My name is Catherine Price. I'm a science journalist and the founder of a platform called Screen Life Balance and the author of books, including How to Break Up with Your Phone and The Power of Fun, How to Feel Alive Again. And I am happy to say that I'm uh, Miraval's digital wellness ambassador as well. So as you mentioned, you are the Miraval Resort's digital wellness ambassador. You're also a science journalist, a speaker, and an author. And you also let us know that you are the founder of Screen Life Balance. We are so curious how you started on this journey of digital mindfulness and helping others cut down on screen time. I've always been curious in trying to live a full life and have also been interested in mindfulness for quite a while. And around in 2015, I had my daughter and I just had a number of moments where I noticed that she would be looking up at me while I was looking at my phone. And I think it was the mindfulness training that enabled me to see that. And I realized in those moments that this is actually not how I want to be living my own life. And it's certainly not what I want my own daughter to think of when she thinks of a human relationship is baby looking at her mother and a mother looking at the phone or a parent looking at their phone. But that was really what kind of launched me on this particular journey, because I realized at that point, that was probably in 2016, that people were beginning to think a little bit about phones and screens, but really not that much. And there were no resources that were specifically devoted to helping people create a more intentional relationship with technology. And so I decided to call upon my background as a science journalist and then my background in mindfulness to try to come up with a look at what phones and screen time are actually doing to us on many different levels, and then take that further by coming up with a plan to help us take back control. That is so incredible. I have a little 15-month-old 
And I have actually started noticing that as well. I'm like, okay, in the morning, if he's just like laying in bed after he woke up and he's looking up and seeing me on my phone, I've been thinking about that so much. I'm like, there's something doesn't feel right here. So I love that you really took a step to change that. And I think that's really incredible. But that's also, I was also just going to jump in and say that, I mean, there's also scientific evidence that it's actually quite potentially harmful because babies can only focus about 10 to 12 inches in front of their face. And that's presumably so that they can bond with whoever is taking care of them. So if they're looking up to maintain and create eye contact and we're looking away, that actually goes against how our biologies are supposed to work. And also kids get very distressed. There's a famous series of experiments called the still face experiment, which has been replicated using phones in which parents are asked to interact normally with their kid, their baby for a minute, and then go totally still faced, have no response at all, and then start behaving normally again. And if you watch these videos online, they're very hard to watch because you can see the baby go through all of these stages of confusion and desperation and anguish and discomfort as the parent does not respond to the baby because they're not making facial expressions. And when I watched that video, I thought, oh my goodness, we're actually still facing our own kids right now. And as I said, they've replicated this experiment with smartphones where they had parents come into a room with toddlers and the toddlers are playing with Legos with their parents. And then the parents just do what we all do and take out their phone and scroll through it for a minute or two. And they have cameras in the research room to see what the toddlers do. And the toddlers immediately notice their parents are not paying attention to them. And they have a variety of responses ranging from calling out, pay more attention to me, come play with me repeatedly. Or one kid tries to get into his mother, in that case, mother's lap to physically insert himself between her and the device. And another little girl just sits down and crosses her hands in her lap and waits. So my point being, kids notice on both a conscious and also on a kind of a biological deeper level when we're not giving them our attention in the moments when we're supposed to be, <laughs> where it's important for us to be doing so. Not to say we shouldn't be on our phones ever. Obviously, we want and need to do that and we want and need distractions and all this occasionally. But I think that we don't recognize the impact that it's having on our children. Wow, that's so powerful. Yeah, I was talking to you, um, a psychologist I've met with for years and she's amazing. And she was just saying that they just want to know that you they have your eyes. So even if you're sitting in there and they're playing by themselves and they're not even playing with you, they still want to know that they have you there. So like even on your phone and my son River, if he's playing independently, like he still wants to know that I'm like, there and I'm interacting still, even though he's like doing his own thing. I think that's so powerful. So tell us what the science behind putting down your phone and some of the benefits of unplugging. We just talked about a couple of them in terms of the our babies and children, but there's a lot of reasons I think it's important to unplug once in a while and become much more intentional about how you interact with your phone. And I want to say straight up, I wrote this book, How to Break Up With Your Phone. By breaking up, I don't mean that people should dump their phones entirely because that wouldn't be practical or desirable, but rather to create better boundaries with them. One of the primary ways I think our phones are affecting us is that they're constantly scattering our attention and keeping us distracted and making it very difficult to focus so that our attention is basically flitting on the surface of things instead of being able to go deeper, to think deeper thoughts, to actually have creative ideas because we're constantly distracted. And I think one thing that's important to recognize about that is actually the state that the brain wants to be in. We actually want to be distractible because if you think about our evolution and the need for survival, 
you actually want to be very attuned to potential distractions in your environment because any one of those distractions could in fact indicate a threat that could be deadly to you. So our brains naturally are going to be very prone to distraction. It's actually amazing that any of us have developed the ability to do something like sit down and read a book and sustain concentrated attention on something at all, let alone something as abstract as symbols on a page that turn into words in our brains. That's amazing. When you have your smartphone, it's designed, first of all, to capture your attention. So to take your attention from whatever else you might have been or want to be doing, because that's how many of the companies behind our most time-sucking apps actually make money, is to take our attention from us. And then if you look at what we're actually doing within the phone, we've got multiple levels of distraction. You're distracted because you're not present in your real life experience. But even within the phone, you're probably not sitting there and reading a book on your phone most of the time. You're probably flitting between different apps. You're looking at Instagram, you're looking at your email, you're looking at the news, whatever. And then even within those apps, you're not going into one thing very deeply. If you think about social media, for example, you're going to see a constant stream of new information, totally different topics, all meshed together. And none of them are deep. It's just very superficial. So I say that because we're essentially taking our brains, which already are naturally distractible, and we are essentially training them to be even more distractible. And we are undoing a lot of the hard work that we put into our ability to read, to sustain attention, to be present with people in our lives, to anything that requires focus and attention. And a lot of people listening may be nodding their heads along because this is one of the most frequent things that people bring up to me when I ask them about how how's your phone affecting you? Why do you want to have a better relationship? They say, I can't focus anymore. I used to be, I can't even sit down and read a magazine article without getting distracted like every 30 seconds. So one of the main benefits to unplugging is that you actually give your brain a chance to regain the skill of concentration. And it can be daunting at first and a little bit depressing to realize that you're an adult who needs to do something like set a timer for 10 minutes and try to read a book with your phone in the other room, which I do recommend people do. But the amazing thing is that you can get your focus back in many cases, relatively quickly, but you actually have to take the step to unplug and retrain your brain. And I'd also say one of the other main areas, I'll touch on two more, there's a lot of areas in which this is a problem, but two that are really important are relationships, because if you are on your phone, you're not present with whomever you're with. You're just not. Like your attention is divided. You might be physically with them in the room, but you're not actually there. And that's what kids pick up on. And for example, the experiment I was describing where they immediately know that their parents' attention is no longer on them. But that happens in our relationships with adults as well. And I can't tell you how many people have come up to me after speaking events or emailed me and said, my partner is always on their phone and it's destroying our relationship and they don't think it's a big deal, but it makes me feel devalued and like they don't really care. So that's a huge area. And the last of many that I will touch on is stress. To be constantly multitasking, which as a side note, our brains can't do. If we're, quote, multitasking, we're actually rapidly switching between tasks because you can't do two cognitively demanding things at once like answer an email and also be on a phone call. You just can't. So there's actually a real stress response that happens when you're trying to pay attention to multiple things at once. And when you're constantly on call to anybody who wants to contact you at any time, like say with work email. So I think that there's actually a negative effect of being in this constant physiological state where your body is primed to think that you're going to be needed for quote an emergency. And one of the things I've noticed when people actually take a break from their phones and unplug as they do at Miraval is that at first your brain's going to freak out and basically being like, what are you doing? All of a sudden you're going to think of every single thing you possibly need to or want to do on your phone, things to buy, emails to answer, things to check. But once you actually allow yourself to settle into the unplugging, people often report this feeling of calm that comes over them and a feeling of time slowing down. 
And also this feeling when the unplugging session is over that they actually don't want to go back and that when they pick up their phone to check whatever it is that their brain had been telling them was so important, they don't find anything important there. So there's a real benefit, I think, in taking a step away from our current habits and noticing what effect those habits have been having on us both mentally and physically. Wow, that's so much good information. It's crazy to hear that. Also, what you were saying about our minds innately being distractible. I never even thought of it like that, but it's so true. And oh my gosh. Okay. So my mom and I were talking about this the other day, how when she was growing up, if there was an emergency, someone would call and leave a message and you would get to it when you could. And it worked out fine. And just how we truly, I feel like panic when we don't have our phones close by, just in case the way you said, we think of everything that could possibly happen that we want to be available and just how distracting that is just in general, but how, so we're in this, we come to Idaho in the summertime and we, I feel like so many people just have their phones gone. I rarely see people on their phones here and it's just the most freeing thing. And we all do talk about how the days feel so long in the best way. I feel as you were saying, time slows down. We can really just focus on relationships and people and it's just so refreshing and you actually see what's right in front of you. And then even what you're saying about marital relationships or any relationships, just how my husband and I talk about this a lot because he'll be saying something to me and I'm like, no, I'm listening, but I'm like, have I'm in the middle of something on my phone and he's no I don't have your attention or me with him like trying to tell you this and he's I'm hearing you but he's like half reading this article he was in the middle of or whatever and I remember a friend growing up would be like our phone is not a human and I'm a human being and like this like it's crazy how we can just divert to something that isn't like a real living thing but it just has our attention so strongly so yeah, I love all that you're saying. One of the most powerful things is giving up your phone and just how much can happen without it. Like how much focus and where you can really innately dig into what's going on inside and address past traumas and all that. But your awareness just really heightens after you get used to the separation from technology. So that's so cool. What are some helpful tips for someone wanting to slow their scroll and be more digitally mindful? I think the first step in creating a better relationship with your phone is to take a step back and ask what you actually value in life. So actually reflect on your own priorities. And I think that's a step that's often lost when people rush right into trying to make changes just because they feel like they should cut back on screen time, but they don't really know why. So take a little time to, you know, maybe before bed, put your phone in another room and actually take some time to write down. What do you value? What do you always say you care about? Is it spending time with your family? Is it your career? Is it a hobby? You know, your passions? Like, what is it? Also, are there some things that you always find that you say you want to do, but you supposedly don't have time for because you probably do have more time than you realize? It's just that a lot of us are frittering it away on meaningless distractions on our phones. Before the pandemic, the best stats I found was that the average American was spending about four hours a day on their phone. And that adds up to 60 days a year, full days a year, which is really a quarter of our waking life. So you probably do have time <laughs> if you reclaim That gave it. me chills. That's crazy. Yeah, it's really nuts if you think about it. And four hours a day, teenagers, many teenagers are spending way more than that, not even on schoolwork, just like more time 
scrolling and on your phone. And often, again, that time is in little pieces of time. Obviously, we sometimes get sucked into a 45-minute mindless scrolling session, but there's also this concept of what's known as time confetti. I think it was Bridget Schultz who came up with that term, which is basically like little meaningless pieces of time. So you've got an hour of free time, but you start by, say, reading a book, but then you get a text message. You spend 30 seconds answering the text message. Then you hop over to Twitter for a second or whatever. You go back to your book and read for three minutes. You get distracted again. It's these little pieces of time confetti that make the overall piece of time not feel nourishing. So anyway, try to set some intentions for yourself and goals and identify your values, essentially. Then you can start to actually look at your relationship with your phone and ask yourself what aspects of this relationship with the phone are serving those interests or making my life easier or more streamlined or perhaps even adding pleasure to my life. And then which parts of what I'm doing are actually detracting from what I ostensibly say that I want to be doing. And you can actually just write lists of what do I love about my phone and want to keep using it for? And what do I not love so much and feels a waste of time? And that's really useful because a lot of times people come at the idea of a new relationship in a very black and white way where they think any screen time is bad. And that's definitely not the case. It's just like food. There's some screen time that's better for you than others. And you obviously are going to need to do some stuff online, just like you're going to have to eat food in today's modern world. So if you have that in mind, then you can go to the step of setting boundaries, both on your phone and in your physical environment to help create and sustain that new relationship. So for example, in the physical sense, we're talking a lot about relationships. You should have certain areas in your home, and I would argue your work life, where phones are off limits, where you have no phone zones. And I'd highly recommend starting with your dining room table and with your bedroom. Bedroom, because not only will it interrupt whatever kind of interactions you might be having with if if you're in a relationship, you're not really going to be talking if you're both sitting there scrolling, but it actually interferes with your sleep because of the type of light that comes off of the phone, this blue light that's it simulates daylight. So it's essentially giving yourself jet lag if you're looking at a phone right before bed or a screen. And then also you're probably looking at pretty high energy content. You're reading the news, you're looking at work email, whatever, which is not what you need before bed. So there's a lot of reasons to get the phone out of the bedroom. Also, you'll be able to reclaim many hours if you get an hour before bed and then you wake up and you have an hour or whatever to yourself before your time gets taken over by whatever is waiting for you on your home screen. So you can make some physical changes. And then on the phone itself, I would highly recommend that you rearrange your home screen so that you don't have your most tempting apps staring you in the face every time you turn your phone on. And even consider deleting some of those apps. For example, for me, I don't have so much of a problem with social media, but I do have issues with email and with the news. And so I took those off of my phone. And my phone's home screen is actually completely black. I don't even have a picture of a family member or anything, because I don't want to be fooled into thinking that looking at my phone is the same as looking at my kid, for example. The goal there is to make your phone as boring as possible so that you can transform it from a temptation into a tool. Because it's a great tool, but you don't want to get sucked into it and waste your time and therefore your life. Because if you think about it, like one of my big takeaways from how to pick up with your phone is that ultimately our lives are what we pay attention to. And so if you're going to be paying attention, even in five minute increments to whatever is on social media, like that's how you're living your life. You're defining your life by that's what you're going to remember or maybe not remember because it's not memorable. But that was very powerful to me to think that every time I'm making a decision in the moment of what to pay attention to, I'm actually making a bigger decision about how I want to live my life. So I'd reflect on your values and priorities. I would create some physical and digital boundaries. I would start to engage in some attention building practices, such as the one I'm 
alluded to earlier. So set a timer when your phone's out of your bedroom, get a book. (laughs) If you say you want to be reading a book, I'd also suggest give yourself easy alternatives. You want to make it easier to engage in the habits you're trying to adopt and you want to make it harder to be side railed or derailed rather by habits that you're trying to change. So if you're saying, oh, I want to read more, I would say put a book on your bedside table and get the phone out of the bedroom because you're going to reach for whatever's on your bedside table because that's where your phone normally is. If you would have to get out of bed to get the phone, but you do have the book and you know you told yourself you wanted to read it, it's a lot easier to then engage in that positive habit. So I'd create easy alternatives for yourself and incorporate some attention building, focus building exercises into your day. And that's where mindfulness can be very useful as well. And mindfulness in general, of course, is about being more aware of what you're doing in the moment and how it's making you feel. And you can combine that with some form of mindfulness-inspired meditation if you want to then take that to the next level of actually using mindfulness as a tool to strengthen your, quote, muscle of attention. And all of that is absolutely essential when you're trying to reestablish or establish for the first time a healthy relationship with technology. Wow. I wish I had my, I'm such a note taker. I'm like, I wish I had my journal right now. (laughs) It's so good, but I love making your phone as boring as possible. That's amazing. I've never heard that before. So good and so helpful and so many amazing tips for all of us. This is an interesting one because I feel like there can be shame attached to like addiction with phone or you do it too or whatever it might be whenever the conversation comes up with someone you love. But do you have any tips for those who want to encourage their friends, family, or children to do the same? That's a question I get a lot because a lot of times people are feeling the pain of how these interactions are affecting them, but it's hard to know what to say. And one of the strangest things about phones is that everyone's doing it, right? So it's socially acceptable in a way that it wouldn't be if it was a traditional substance. If your partner was sitting next to you in bed with a flask every night and drinking vodkas, you'd be like, you have a problem. Or if you got onto or you went to a party and everybody is at this point, like pulling on a cigarette or something at the table because they can't help themselves from doing it. You'd be like, that's weird. I do want to emphasize that there's obviously many ways in which technology is essential and useful and enjoyable, and it's not the same as a chemical addiction, but we are behaving in ways that definitely mimic behavioral addictions. And I think if you're struggling with that in terms of someone else in your life, there's a couple of things you can do. One is to straight up say, I really feel hurt by how you're interacting with your phone when I'm around you. And you can lean into the traditional couples therapist thing of using I feel statements instead of you're always on your phone. You can be like, it makes me feel because no one can argue with how you feel. And if they're like, it's not a big deal, I would, from me to the people who are listening to this, I would say it is a big deal. If you think it's a big deal, it is a big deal. So even if your partner or your kid or whoever is telling you it's not a big deal, if you're feeling really bad about it, it is a big deal. So just know that and please feel validated. I found it to be useful sometimes if people ask the other person to try something with them. So say, Say I was trying to get my husband to spend less time on my phone instead of trying to get him to change his habits and him getting defensive, even with my I feel statements. Maybe I could say, I listened to this podcast and the person was talking about the idea, I'm going to give you an idea here, of taking a break on Friday nights from your phone and doing a digital Sabbath. Ideally, you would actually spend a full 24 hours with your phone, something I recommend. But you can say, oh, I listened to it and it sounded like an interesting idea. Would you be up for trying it with me? It would really mean a lot. And they might push back at you, but you might get them to at least start with a dinner and an evening without your phone. And it'll be an interesting experience for a number of reasons. First, any kind of resistance is itself interesting because that's an evening is not very long and there's ways to get around any potential, quote, emergency that might have. And then if you do that together, 
it'll give you a conversation starter, very easy conversation starter. How was that? What did you feel like us not being on our phones? How was that different from a normal weekend day? I'd, I would suggest that you make plans ahead of time so you have something to do instead. So you go out and do something without your phones. And I think that's a really wonderful way to actually engage in a kind of non-confrontational reflection on how technology is affecting you by reflecting on what it was like to not have it. So in that case, if we're using me as the example, I could say it was really amazing to feel like you were so present with me. That made me feel so close to you or whatever you truly feel. I think it's just a really nice way to open this conversation without making it confrontational. It's challenging. But anyway, those are a couple of suggestions for opening entry points. That's so great. Yeah, we have a 15-month-old and I was just reading an article about that with how just technology and phones are impacting so many developmental stages for kids and even just depression, anxiety, so many things like that. And so we're going to start talking about that, like how just the boundaries we want to set, which I'm so curious what it'll be like in a few years when River, like when friends might have phones or whatever and how that's going to be. But I feel like up here in Idaho, it's just so refreshing because, for example, we had one of our friends meet us. He like, we were in a boat in the lake and he jumped into the lake and swam and stayed with us for three days. And I was like, do you need your phone? Do you want me to text your girlfriend and tell her you're okay? And she, he's, she's so used to it. He lives the way that I feel like our parents grew up in just a, such a healthy way. That seems shocking to us now. Okay, can you tell us about Miraval Mode and what that means for guests? Yeah, so in Miraval Mode, guests are actually asked to put their digital devices, all of their digital devices away when they are in the public areas of Miraval, except for some specially designated spots. And I just think that's an absolutely wonderful idea and that Miraval is way ahead of its time. It's just been going on since Miraval existed in asking people to do this. And the feedback I've gotten from people at Miraval is that there's often a pushback from guests at first, but then they actually have the same experience we were discussing where they realize that's actually one of the most wonderful things about being at Miraval is this chance to put away your phone and actually be present. Cool. I love that so much. So important. So now it's time for our segment called Bring the Miraval Experience Home, where we share tips on how to bring Miraval experience back with you into your everyday life. How can guests bring Miraval mode back into their everyday lives? Well, we actually touched on some of the ways guests can bring Miraval mode back to their everyday lives already. But just to reiterate, it really is about creating boundaries. But Miraval, you're not going to take your phone out to the dinner table, for example, and you're not going to have your phone out when you're interacting with people and doing activities and being out of your room. You can take some of those habits and bring them home. And you can, as we were discussing, you can say, all right, we're not going to have phones at the dining room table and we're not going to have them in our bedrooms and we're going to just experiment with trying to create what you you can decide what your own boundaries are, but create boundaries. So I would say that's one of the first things. And I know occasionally guests are given actually a Miraval sleeping bag for their phone when they check into the resort. So if you have one of those, you can actually use it and use that as a prop that can help you actually put your phone to bed at night so that you can actually get better sleep. So I think it's all about trying to take some of those boundaries and habits that you experience when you're at Miraval and translate them into your home life in a way that supports your own well-being. So good. Okay, so we also have a segment we like to call the Miraval moment, which is where our guests share a memory from their time at Miraval that was impactful to them. Maybe an aha moment where something clicked or you learned something new about yourself. What would you 
say, actually, I'm going to ask it this way. Can you talk about how putting down your device during a visit to Miraval Resorts can help cultivate these Miraval moments? In general, you're going to remember what you're actually paying attention to, as I was mentioning before. And so one of the greatest things about Miraval mode is it forces you to actually be present in whatever you're doing because you're not distracted. So Miraval mode itself achieves the exact results of giving you more Miraval moments (laughs) because you're actually at Miraval. (laughs) If you're physically at Miraval and you're in your work inbox, you're not at Miraval and you're not going to have any Miraval moments or memories to take home with you. In regards to Miraval moments, what was your Miraval moment? I really enjoyed my stay at Miraval. It was in July and uh, it was very hot. I remember being very hot, but I had a couple of moments, but one that stands out to me is I, I decided to do some something in the pool that involved like floating on noodles and then someone was playing gongs in a meditative fashion. And I think that there were like singing bowls that were put on our stomachs and chests, if I remember this correctly. And it was actually very relaxing and just really amazing to be floating in this pool with these vibrations. But I remember at the end, I, we broke the silence or whatever. And I started saying something and the guy who was leading it was like, stop. <laughs> he was like, don't. He said, basically, he said something like, just let it be. Maybe don't intellectualize it. And I was like, because I mean, my basic <laughs> mode for all of life, it's mirror of all mode is one thing, but my Catherine mode is just intellectualize every experience you ever have and just keep and it above your that. neck and your brain. So it was just funny that he immediately, like with me saying one thing, he immediately saw what I was doing and called me out on it. And wow. I felt a bit chagrined, but I also was like, he's right. <laughs> so that's what stands out to me immediately is my mirror of all moment. Oh my gosh, I love that. I love how a mirror of all also is just it's like the most validating place, but then they can call you out in such a loving way where you're like, I like that actually helped me so much. It's the right. best. Wow. Okay. So I do have a question. We talk about this a lot amongst our friends, but if you are an extreme extrovert, this is just more of a personal question. And you're like, I need my phone to coordinate and get everyone together here. What do you say with that? Because I feel like boundaries with work it can be hard to set up but it's more you can set lines for that but I feel like it's more mixed up when it has to do with friends and coordinating and all that yeah it's tricky I personally spend too much time on text messaging for sure I think that you need to try to cultivate this mindfulness and awareness of what you're doing in the moment so if you're like okay I'm texting my friend because we're trying to set up a time to meet for lunch that's different from just mindlessly scrolling on a social media app at the same time, would it be more efficient to just call the friend and set up a time for lunch instead of going back and forth over text message? And that's like a hard habit to break is actually picking up the phone and calling people. But once you get over that hump, it actually can be just so much more efficient and enjoyable. So I think it's like just being aware if you're involved in this big group text, for example, maybe that's really nice up to a point. But then maybe after another certain point, you're like, actually, I'm tired of trying to communicate with people with my thumbs. I need to step away from this and have a real in-person experience. I would try to use the phone as much as possible to coordinate real experiences or to coordinate or just engage in true synchronous communication, meaning not texting back and forth, but talking on the phone so that you're actually having as close to a real life interaction as you can. That is, that's so good. I love that. So now before we go, Catherine, can you walk us through your WWW mindfulness exercise? Sure. So as I was alluding to, there is actually, I think of how to break up with your phone actually is a mindfulness guide in disguise because so much of the process of creating a better relationship with devices really is about mindfulness. 
And so I came up with this exercise called WWW, which is short for what for, why now, and what else, to help people become more aware of how they're interacting with their phones and to give themselves alternatives. It actually starts with a step back because many times we've all had the experience of looking down in our hand and finding our phone there and not knowing how we got on it or what happened to the last 20 minutes. I recommend starting by putting like a hair tie or a rubber band or something around your phone so that when you pick it up on autopilot, you notice that you have picked it up on autopilot. Because you'll be like, why the heck is there a rubber band around my phone? Oh, I just picked up my phone. And that can be a prompt to do this WWW exercise. You first ask yourself, what for? What did you pick up your phone for? What was your purpose? Did you have a purpose? Were you trying to send a particular email or check a particular thing? Or was it, you're not really sure why? You move on to why now? Why in this particular moment did you do it? You might have a time-sensitive reason, like there was a deadline or you had to buy something for a friend's birthday, whatever. But in the majority of moments, you probably are going to find that there was an emotional trigger behind it. You were feeling bored and you wanted a distraction. You were feeling lonely. You wanted to feel connected, or you were anxious. You wanted to self-soothe. So you were socially awkward. You wanted like a security blanket. There'll be something emotional there. And that's really important because once you can identify what your brain is actually after, you can go to the third step of this exercise, which is what else? Is there an alternative that you could do that would achieve the same results? So if you're lonely, maybe you use the phone to call someone instead of going to social media. If you are feeling bored or you're stuck at work, maybe you get up and walk around the block or do something, a different activity for a couple minutes to get your brain somewhere else. What's the alternative that might give you the same result? You might also realize that you actually don't want to do anything in that moment and you want to give your brain a chance to be still, which is very important. So I'd highly recommend that. Maybe just take an elevator and just watch the numbers go up instead of swiping through three apps by the time you get to the fifth floor. And then finally, you might conclude when you ask yourself what else that you actually truly do want to be on your phone. And that's fine. That's actually great because our point is not to just arbitrarily restrict our screen time. It's just to make sure that when we're on our phones is the results of a choice. So I'd say put a rubber band or hair tie around your phone, use that to help you notice when you pick it up. And then when you do that, ask yourself what for, why now, and what else? Wow, that's so good. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing this moment with me, Catherine. It was just such a joy to have you on this podcast. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. (laughs) That is all the time we have today. And I want to say a big thank you to Miraval Resorts Digital Wellness Ambassador, Catherine Price, for joining us and sharing some useful tips and tools to help people scroll less, live more, and have fun in the process. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave a review so more people can listen in. Until next time, I'm Lauren Scruggs-Kennedy, and this has been Miraval Life in Balance, brought to you by Miraval Resorts and Spas.